Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is a best-selling author, renowned speaker, high-level entrepreneur, top podcaster, lover of Back to the Future, and former marching band member and director. He's built a tribe of super fans and smart passive income to go along with it by testing ideas and asking, will it fly? Two and a half years ago, I heard him give a closing keynote at the social media marketing world and was absolutely blown away. It was the most inspiring performance I've ever witnessed. And the talk has become his latest selling book, Super Fans. I've become one of his biggest fans, and I'm honored to have the legend himself, Pat Flynn, on the show today. Thanks, Jesse. I appreciate you for having me. Hello, everybody. Hope you guys are having a great day. And Let's have some fun, man. Yes, Pat, rocking and rolling early in San Diego today. And, you know, I think the concepts in the book, you kept everything so simple. And, you know, I want to share this with an audience because I think some people think of fans, they think of sports. They don't think of just how can we make this in business? And one of the first aspects you talk about is is break the ice. I think, why wouldn't we start with break the ice here? What does that mean? Why is that important for businesses to do? I mean, breaking the ice means just like when you build a relationship in real life with people, you're not going to immediately be best friends right from the get-go. But when you find those commonalities, when you get to know that person a little bit more as a human, then you just ultimately get to know them better as a friend. And then that can lead to many, many other things. There's a lot of different strategies I talk about in the book specifically about, especially in business, how do you start that relationship? And a lot of us think it's all about just answering all their questions. And that's that's part of it. A lot of us think it's like showing off our credentials. And that's why we put like, oh, featured on Entrepreneur Magazine, featured on this here. That that's important too. Social proof is a part of it. But more, it's just how can you be a human being? And that will ultimately help you stand out. One of my favorite things to do is just putting more of my personality into my work. And by doing so, I'm able to stand out from other people who are literally doing the same thing or teaching the same kinds of things. Because guess what? Nobody's like you. Nobody's like me. Nobody's like you, Jesse. We're all unique in our own special way. Yet we don't often use that to our advantage when it comes to business for whatever reason. So you had mentioned Back to the Future earlier. That's one of the things I love to talk about because I'm just a super nerd about those kinds of things. So even in my content and business, it ends up in that content. When I'm on stage, I talk about it and I tie in the Back to the Future story to business. When I write blog posts, sometimes I take lessons from Back to the Future and teach using that as an example. And no, not everybody on the other end is a Back to the Future fan, but they see that I am and then they know that about me. And then what's cool that happens is somebody will you know, be driving down the road and see a DeLorean, the car from the movie, and then immediately they're triggered to think of me. Or they go to the store and they see a Marty McFly doll in the toy section, and then they go, Pat, this reminded me of you. So now my brand is showing up in places where normally I wouldn't even be thought about because it's not just about business. It's about the person behind it, right? And my good friend, Chris Ducker, he always talks about the story of Bob the Baker, a made-up person. But imagine you go to Bob the Baker's bakery because not just he has good bread, but because when you walk in, he's like, hey, Jesse, how are you? How's the family doing? How's the game last night? Like, things go well. And then you go, yeah, Bob, everything was great. Like, we won last night. Did you end up making it? Like, you know, next time you're in town, like, let me know or whatever. Like, you have this relationship such that even if a supermarket opened up in between you and Bob's bakery that had bread for cheaper, you would still make the trek to Bob because you had that relationship and it was because you got to know each other a little bit. And that's all what about breaking the ice is and getting to know the person on the other end, but also having them get to know you too. 
and I think it's so easy, much easier to, for people to connect. So for instance, like business people, like we don't understand like, oh, if you're an entrepreneur magazine, you do this, like people don't know how to talk about that, but they know how to talk right. about their favorite restaurants, their favorite movies. And mm-hmm. so, you know, one thing we've done, I want to see what businesses, but we interviewed all of our people in videos of things they love, even their love languages and their movies. And we're putting that in all the email signatures so you can get to know the people. Let's learn this from Marcus Sheridan. They ask you answer. Or what yeah. are the things like a business could do? Just say, hey, we want our people the business is to know the people behind the business. Mm-hmm. There are ideas that you see that could happen really quickly? Yeah, I mean, number one, just understanding that it's all about the human aspect. It's about the relationship. It's about yeah. building that relationship. And I think that when it comes to the business, there are some really great ways like putting a podcast up to help a person hear the voice on the other end. You know, I promote products as an affiliate, which means I earn a commission if I send people through a special link that a company gives me and people buy. So one thing that I do is I love to use my podcast as a platform to bring the founders of those products on so that they could also build a relationship with my audience as well. And so, and and it's not them coming on to go like, here's my product and here's why it's great. It's like, tell me the story about this product. Like, how did it even come across your mind to create this thing? What were some of the big struggles you had in creating it? And I found out, for example, I interviewed Nathan Berry, who's the founder of an email service provider called ConvertKit. And when I brought him on the show, he talked about how he purposefully made sure that he never took outside investments, how he almost gave up on it because it was too hard in the beginning. And of course, he plowed through and he's crushing it now and is making about $20 million a year in that business. People hear that story and they're like, whoa, like I can really connect with this guy and I see the love and the care that he put behind it. And people resonate with that. And then they go and they... When they need email, they're reminded of Nathan, and then they click on that link. It's very similar to a strategy that I talk about in the book called Opening Up the Factory Doors, letting people in on your process and what happens on the inside. It's one of my favorite things to do. For me, when I first started teaching people online business, I said, well, how can I open up my factory doors? Well, let me just show people some reports of how my businesses are doing and whether they're going well or not so well. Here's all the numbers. Here's the expenses. Here's how we won last month. Here's how we failed last month. The whole thing. People really loved that and resonated with it because it was so different. But I think we as human beings, we're just, we're born to be curious. And so when you offer those things that people don't normally get access to, it ultimately connects you more with that brand and your fans. So like if you go to a a beer factory tour, right, or a brewery tour, it's like not only do you, yeah, get, you know, small taste test machines, you see the factory, not only that, you get to meet the people, you know them by name. And now when you're in the store and you're making a selection of beer, you go, oh, well, the fact tour, I remember that, like, I'm going to go get that one and support them because we have this like deeper relationship than just a commercial I saw on television. Yeah. Well, it's so smart. When you did your, you know, your talk two years ago, you actually, the opening video and one of the videos, you, you showed your wife, like literally in pajamas in a closet, pulling out her Backstreet Boys. Like it was shown yeah. your little, it was shown <laughs> behind the scenes of your house and you were, how you were reacting. And it was like, it was so vulnerable, authentic and real. But so many people are scared to show that. But immediately, we were like, we're rooting for you. We like this guy before. Yeah. That was my first really interaction with you. Or you feel bad for me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you are feel bad for you. But I think so many companies, they're just probably scared to show this side because they feel like they have to be on this facade of you know strength and power and success. And it goes down to breaking the ice and saying, no, this is who we are. Exactly. And, you know, I'm reminded of, and this isn't in the book, but I just saw a commercial the other day for Domino's Pizza. Yes. We all know Domino's Pizza, right? And they were like, you know, we'll get you your pizza in 30 minutes or less. And that was their unique selling proposition before. And then all of a sudden, a number of years ago, we started to see commercials from Domino's saying, hey, we messed up. Like our recipe wasn't as good as it was back in the day. We started focusing too much on making money and not on what the people wanted. So we completely redid our recipe 
and we guarantee this is going to be better. You're going to love it. And then the other day I saw one, there's, they have this like pizza insurance thing where if like your order goes wrong, they'll fix it for you Yes. versus another company that might be like, we're always going to get your order right for you. You know, it's like, no, Hey, we mess up too. But if we do, like we got your back, we're going to give you like a free pizza if we mess up. Yeah. So the whole concept of, you know, breaking the ice is like, this is who we are, share some stories and okay, hey, if some things go wrong, we're going to show you that it goes wrong, which, which I love. And I think you talk about how even in the subtitle of the book, you say the easy way to stand out and grow your brand. But for you, I mean, it, it was a long road. It was a lot of learning. It was going through the process. So there's some easy things in the book, but it's sharing this journey and what you're going through. I mean, for you, I mean, it's how many years in the making of to where you are now, Pat? I mean, 11 years since I got laid off from my architecture job. Yes. And, you know, the vulnerability piece is huge. I've always included my story in the beginning. I think story is a really important component. The better that you can nail the story and share your before and after your personal brand, especially, you're more likely to connect with people. I was uh, interviewing Patrick Lencioni, who is the author of Five Dysfunctions of a Team recently. And he shared this amazing story because he helped, he actually gets hired by really high-end businesses, Fortune 500 companies to fix teams, essentially, that are broken. And he goes in, and the first exercise that he does, I found out, he has everybody go around, all the executives go in the room, and he goes, tell me about what your childhood was like. Like, just has every person say that. And it was so interesting to me. And I was like, why do you do that? And he's like, because what happens is people share stories about their past, and they're not always great stories. But what happens is people start to open up to the other team members in the room like they never have before. And it's that vulnerability that creates the trust that is absolutely foundational for a team to be able to grow and execute and do what they need to do as a business. And it just shows you like people need to hear sometimes the not so great stories. And it's not like, you know, it's not like you're going to have a page on your website that says, here are all of our failures. That's not what it's about. <laughs> it's number one, owning up to mistakes when they happen. But number two, just being okay with the journey that you had and the fact that it probably wasn't all unicorns and rainbows and being open about that allows you to connect with people more. And like you said, like, or like I was talking about breaking the ice. Yeah, exactly. Well, when we first connected, I shared, hey, we went through this four years ago, the struggle, but then this is what we built. And it's all about the building. And I think some of the quick wins, I want to go through these because I want the group to know the super fans is an epic book and learn the lyrics is something I know you talk a lot about. And yeah. it's so powerful because so many people aren't speaking the same language as their fans. So this goes back to the story with my wife, April, and the back boys, right? So she's this super fan. She has this closet full of just stuff, and it's kind of crazy, but I can't hate because I have a closet full of Back Future stuff. So anyway, when I was learning more about how she became a fan of the Backstreet Boys, she took me back to when she was about 15 years old, and she had broken up with her boyfriend like many girls do at that age, right? They fall in love, they fall out of love, and they're just very sad. And in a moment of sadness in her life, she turned on the radio. This was back before Spotify or iPods or anything like that. She heard a song on the radio that she heard before, but she never really paid attention to it. But this time it was different because of the state of mind she was in and what she was going through. She started listening to the song and every word in that song was describing exactly what she was going through in that moment of her life. And that song was titled Quit Playing Games With My Heart by the Backstreet Boys. And you think about it, it's perfect, right? Backstreet Boys, their target audience was like girls between 13 and 18 at the time. And what happens in their lives? Well, they fall in love, they fall out of love. Okay, well, how do they talk about that? Do they say, my romance is gone and I'm never going to get you know, married? No, they say, quit playing games with my heart. Okay, that's their lyrics. Let's put that in a song. And then it became a number one hit. Business owners, we are often pretty good at figuring out what the problems that we're solving are. And that's key. That's mandatory. But the next level, in addition to understanding the problems, how do 
your target audience discuss and talk about those problems. Mm. When you nail those words, magic happens. It ultimately brings people towards you. It was Jay Abraham who said, if you can define the problem better than your target customer, they will automatically assume you have the solution. When you send emails out, you want people to reply and say, oh my gosh, I feel like you just wrote this for me. Or if you're talking to somebody, you go, wow, you get me. They go, you're in my head. How do you know that? On a sales page, the first part should be absolutely the same words that they used to describe those problems even before you mention your solution. When you nail the lyrics, people start to pay attention because they know and they finally found somebody who knows what they're going through. That's what ultimately what people want with pains, problems, needs, whatever. They want to know that other people understand them first. Yeah. Similar to a relationship. Guys, before, and I know this from my own experience, guys, before you try to solve a problem, try to understand how they feel first. It's not always about solving the problem right away. Yeah, like like for us, again, we always say, stop doing what your customers hate. So you have to actually know what do they hate and how do they talk about it. So like for us, I know like, oh, you get nickel and dime when you go to a ballpark. And you just, you hear it. You hear people saying, oh, it's eight bucks for this, 10 bucks for this. It's like, well, no, stop doing that. And that's why we play the all-inclusive ticket. But then you got to also promote that. Oh, no, it's just all your food. Like, what would they say? You don't, you know, it's, oh, it's all your food and drinks. Everything's included. You have to yeah. use that language. But my question is, you know, what are other ways that you can really easily just say, all right, this is who we are. And this is, do you have to just listen to them? Like, what do you do to actually hear it and then be able to speak for the customer? Opening up your ears and eyes is yeah. the biggest thing. But I think purposely having conversations, one-on-one conversations yeah. with people is by far the most powerful thing you can do. One thing that I do in my business is every single month, even though I have an email list of a quarter million people, I still make the time every month to reach out to 10 random new subscribers every month and try to get on a Zoom call or a Skype call with them or a phone call because I want to know, hey, where are you at? How did you find me? But more than that, what are you struggling with right now? What are your challenges? What have you tried to solve? And how come it didn't work out? And how can I help you with that? And I just sit back and listen. And you hear them talk and you dig deeper. It's like an interview, but it's not recorded or it's not put anywhere. And you're just keeping track of how they share what they need. And in addition to that, I mean, those conversations are gold for me because now I don't have to guess anymore about what to put on an email or a subject line for an email or on my sales page. I don't have to guess what articles I need to write. I don't need to guess what guests I have on my show because I can find the people related to these exact and specific struggles that they are having. And the one-on-one conversations are more powerful to me than even surveys, which are often just surface level data versus like the actual language and the empathy that you'll then have also for the people who are on the other end too. So, so, so that's absolutely huge. I think that also just paying attention to where those groups of people in your target audience exist, whether it's Facebook groups or comment sections or the review sections on Amazon, right? Amazon is a great place to find out what people are thinking, especially if you look at the three-star reviews. The one-star reviews often like, you know, something terrible happened or the five-star <laughs> reviews, it's just some people just default that. The three-star reviews are the ones where people go, here's what I liked about this product, ABCD. Here's what I didn't like about this product, one, two, three, four. And now you can just literally take other people's experiences with other products and make yours even better, make your service even better. So reviews are a great place, especially when you get the honest ones that people show both sides of the coin. I love it. it it's such a simple concept, but it's just not, it's not done. You listen, you look at the reviews and you make adjustments. I think one of the great things we talked a little bit brief online before was about the quick wins. You said you've been talking to all these people and they'll be able to implement things because of your book, super fans. I think that's something that so many businesses don't do is have, Hey, a quick win. I really want to dive into this because even for us that we're working with different businesses, giving quick wins is tough because 
it is a long journey. I mean, Pat, it took 11 years for you to be able to be, you know, having the huge, huge impact that you're having. So mm-hmm. implementing quick wins, I'm really, really fascinated. Can you give some examples? Like I know they mentioned the 100 email clubs, some other ideas, but I'd love to hear yeah. some. So quick wins are defined as, in my eyes, something that a person who just finds you can do within five to 15 minutes to offer them something that they didn't have before. And the story I love to tell is about my good friend, Ramit Sethi, who has a website called IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. Back before I became an entrepreneur, I was an architect and I loved reading personal finance blogs. I was subscribed to like 30 or 40 of them back in the day when when you would uh, subscribe to a blog with an RSS feed reader and you'd wake up in the morning and you'd see like all the new articles that pop into your feed reader. And I was not a fan of Ramit. I actually did not subscribe to him because I was a little put off by the, the name of his website and he was a little bit more aggressive than the others. However, there was an article that was being shared on social media from Ramit that I just had to read because everybody was talking about it. And I opened it up and it's this, it was an article, I can't remember the exact title, but it was like, call your cable company and save 20% on your cable bill in 15 minutes. Like, here's how, here's the exact script you need. And I open it, it's literally word for word what you say to your cable company. And by the end, 20 to 25% on your cable bill. So during lunch one day, I was like, okay, I got 15 minutes. I can try this out during lunch. So I call my cable company. I have the blog post open. I read the whole script. And then I end up saving 25% of my cable bill in like 15 minutes. So I just dove deep into Ramit stuff right after that. Even though he teaches things like that are, that are more about bigger things like life or getting your dream job or an increase in salary or you know all those kinds of things, which are huge and take a long time. He gave me something that these other guys didn't give me because consider the things that they were teaching. All right, save a little bit every month. And when you're 65, then you can enjoy those. You, you know, don't feel it. Yeah. You don't feel it at all. Yeah. Versus in 15 minutes, I now saved, you know, hundreds of dollars a year and then, you know, extrapolated throughout many, many years that that's thousands of dollars. You saved me in 15 minutes. Like I'm diving deep into remit stuff. And so every time that I have a chance to, I try to offer a quick win. Whether I am on stage, I try to put a quick little thing that, you know, let's say a person had to leave halfway through. Could they have already gotten something and and take it home with them and, and actually implement it? I try to insert something quick up front to show people, hey, there's some small quick wins that you can do right now, but make sure you stay all the way through because we got even bigger things to talk about. So the phrase I like to, sh- to share is like, if you want to change somebody's life, start by changing their day first. Go small to go big. Charles Dudek wrote a whole chapter about the power of small, quick wins, because psychologically what it does is it triggers like those good feelings that we have when we get those small little rewards. So what do we do? We keep coming back for more. We keep coming back for more. And this is often considered the yes ladder in business. You know, start with the small yeses to get a person, you know, shaking their head. Yes. Oh, great. I got something. Okay, let me keep coming back. Bigger. Yes. Bigger. Yes. Bigger investment. Bigger ask. Bigger transaction. But starting with those small dates and then adding up over time, yeah, absolutely, you can get there. And so what happens is once you give them a quick win, they are becoming the fans and talking about you. See, that's the difference. I mean, how many people have you told about Ramit Sahib? I mean, tens of thousands now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you're, you're telling everyone. So when you give a quick win, so on stage, you mentioned that. What are some examples that you give that on stage that they can go out and start telling people, wow, I just did this and it worked? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the topic. So if you are on stage speaking, like what would be something that first 10 minutes people could say wow about something and do it. So I love including little exercises like that. So in my books, even, for example, Will It Fly, the first few chapters are really quick exercises that you could do so that you can get some thoughts in your mind about things that you probably never thought of before. 
in superfans, you'll see that every chapter is actually considered a possibility to have a quick win. There's an exercise at the end of every chapter so that you can implement and actually start to see some results right away, even, even in the middle of the book, if you'd like, and people are actually experiencing that. For me, I know, for example, I want to help people build an email list. And that's a very, very tough for people to think about because it's like, I don't even know what to do with the technology. I don't even think I can get emails. I think one of the best things that you could do to create a quick win is to think of, well, what are the immediate objections that people have in their brain and stopping them from working with you or using your service or becoming a client? Give them something that tackles that objection up front in 10 to 15 minutes, and then you got them, right? Yes. So for email, for example, people just don't have the understanding that they can actually build an email. So I go, okay, this is what we're going to do. For 72 hours on this date, we're going to do an email challenge, 100 emails. I'm going to help you get 100 emails. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to, to subscribe to anything. I'm just going to show you that you can get 100 people to say, yes, I'm interested in your thing and, and send me more info when you have it. So for three days, once a day, I send an email to all those people who subscribe to this challenge. And by the end, most people have 100 emails. So they go, Pat, oh my gosh, I got 100 emails. Like, I didn't even know I could do that. Okay, what do I do with that? Tell me what to do next. Okay, well, step two, go to ConvertKit. Here's my affiliate link. I get a commission if you go through this link. Yeah. And here are some examples of different broadcast emails you can send to them to keep them up to date. Here's how you can build an autoresponder now so that emails can be sent out automatically after people subscribe. So now I've sort of taken this big idea and found that very first step for them. And now they're in and now they're, now they're going and now their lives are being changed because now they're growing that email list like I know will help them. They just needed a little bit of a boost up front. It's brilliant. You know, you don't talk too much about this in the book, but I'm sure you've done it. Small bets. I mean, how often are you just testing things out? Like, for instance, we think, oh, we're going to do this big, quick win for them. But you just, hey, let's test it with 10 people. Let's test it with 20 people. I'd love to know your experimentation in learning this. Yeah, so there's a couple things involved with that. Number one is just finding time to experiment and making time to experiment, yes. being very diligent with, hey, we are going to experiment. And so one thing I love to do is what I call the 20% itch rule. Because, you know, I had been in the camp of, you know, one thing only, super focus, all this noise out there, like, don't look at it, don't listen to it. We suffer from bright light syndrome all the time, right? And like, oh, that or oh, this. But no, if you give yourself permission to experiment and try things, what happens is you are okay whether or not it works or not. Yet, 80% of your time is still on the stuff that you know you need to do. And I got this from a couple places. Google allows 20% employees time to just try and experiment new things. And things that we know and use all the time, like Gmail, have been a result of an employee or a group of employees using that time to experiment and try to do something new. Gary Vaynerchuk does this. You know, He has his major platforms that he uses, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Yet he allows himself time to experiment on these other new, growing, up-and-coming social media platforms because if he's first on the platform, he knows that he'll have a leg up. Yes. And the trick with this is doing that. And for me, you know, 20%, I mean, it's easy. It's like Monday through Thursday, do what you need to do, get the stuff done that you need to do and the responsibilities that you have to anything that you have. But Friday, that's your play day. That's your day to experiment and try new things, learn new things, implement new things. My recent implementation of a 20% itch rule was the SwitchPod, a brand new physical product. I don't even belong in the physical product space. I've never done it before. And I'm not even in the video space too, but I wanted to experiment and try and just see what happened. And this switch pod that we created, we invented, it was launched in February this past year, 2019, and it made about a half million dollars in 60 days. And now it's this product that could potentially become a multi-million dollar company because of an experimentation. But the other part of this is if it fails, you have to be okay with that, knowing it's a learning experience too. At least you tried. It's like when you go to a casino, 
the best strategy is to have a certain amount of dollars that you would totally be okay losing. You don't go deeper in your pockets after that. It's like, this is your entertainment money and you'd be happy if you win, you'd be happy if you lose. It's about having a good time. And that's kind of what this experimentation is all about. And then when it comes to actually implementing these experiments, what I love to do is iterate, test like a small tiny Petri dish with a small group of people to see what they respond with or how they like it or don't like it. Because if they don't, well, at least it's controlled in that little Petri dish and you can you can throw that away and then move on to the next experiment, right? And so with the SwitchPod, for example, we could have designed something and build it out and pay all this money and then go, hey, guys, check this out. We've been keeping it secret this whole time. No, what we did instead was we went to a video conference. We started talking to people, okay, what, like when it comes to tripods, like what are your needs? What are your pains with what you're using right there? And just tell us more about what ultimately you want. Okay, we got that. And then we just went to cardboard and cut out the shapes. And then we went back to video people that we knew and be like, okay, is this the right shape? Hold it in your hand. Tell me what you like about this. And they're like, no, I think the bigger, smaller, I want it to work like this. Okay. Then we 3D printed a model that actually opened and closed the legs like we wanted it to. And then guess what we did? Even though it was definitely didn't work perfectly, we handed it to people and said, okay, you tell us. Like, do you like this? Is this working out? And so after 17 different iterations of this thing, we finally got to the final point. But all along the way, guess what we were doing? We were sharing our product with people, letting people know it was coming. We were open with the fact that we were just figuring it out along the way. And we brought people along on the journey with us. They became a part of that story. And so as much as we say, me and Caleb invented this thing, it's actually, we say it's made for creators. That's our target audience. By creators, not just me and Caleb, but the Every single person who lent their advice or their feedback along the way, some people said, no, I hate this thing. And then we started to dig deeper and go, why is this thing not for you? And then we realized, well, guess what? They're not in our target audience. And that helped us inform a lot of what ended up on the Kickstarter page. So those little iterations. And if, you know, it's all about green light, next step, green light, next step, green light, next step, red light. Oh, okay, interesting. Let's go back to that previous green light because that worked, but this didn't. Like now we can, if there's a problem, hone in on where that problem is and have conversations with people so we can understand it better and then go to the green light again if we, if we want. Yeah, and it's brilliant. I think what you did, I want to dive into this, the switch pod, you probably followed many of the tactics of super fans. You went through it and now you have these fans, but you didn't, again, people think we got to market more. We got to advertise more. I mean, you weren't marketing, you weren't advertising, you were listening, you were following the trend of getting them part of the experience. And mm-hmm. now you have fans all over of the switch pod. Is there any, like if you say, hey, for a business, they're going to launch a new product, a new you know, T-shirt, a new food item, whatever it is. They can follow this like what you did. So, I mean, can you maybe just go through pretty quickly like some of those examples quickly of what you did with SwitchPod that's super fan relatable? Yeah, I mean, as we were coming up with the idea, we were already letting people know that something was coming and then asking people, hey, if you do any vlogging, like, let us know. We want to show you something that we're building for you. That's Always nice. coming from a place of service, right? Not hey guys, I want you to tell us what our next product's going to be. No, it's not like that. The language that you use is is really important. Hey, we're building something for you and we want you to be a part of it. And people just got in on that journey really quickly. We were very open with our process as well. And with the iterations that we had, yes, potentially somebody could have gone, oh, look at this project that they're working on. We're going to work on it too. But we also knew that even if a person stole our idea, what they wouldn't steal was the connection that we would have with our people along the way. And building those super fans was really important. Another thing that we did that worked out really well was how we approached influencer marketing. So there are a lot of large YouTubers out there who, if we, man, if we had them mention our product, that would change everything, right? And obviously, we could have potentially paid for that to happen, but we wanted to take the more natural, organic friend approach. And so what we did was we connected with a number of influencers through relationships that we had already built. 
and not from a place of, hey, look at our product, but hey, this is built to serve you. Like, is this what you want? And even we got Casey uh, Neistat, the, one of the biggest bloggers in the world, to when I was speaking at an event with him, we were introduced to him through the founder of the event, Nathan Barry, actually, coincidentally. And we never were like, Casey, look at our product. Like, we didn't show it in his face. We we're just like, hey, we're working on this thing for vloggers. We know vloggers don't often get products built specifically for them. You want to see it? It's like, sure, man, let me see it. Okay. And we pull it out and leaves his comments. He's like, I think it should be smaller. I think you should just make a black version to start. So that's exactly what we did. But we also captured that on video. Now, it's very interesting because guess what? Nobody's ever seen that video. We wanted to respect Casey and not use him. And same thing with Peter McKinnon, another big vlogger in the space. We had video of him looking at it for the first time and saying his amazing things. And man, if and only if we could use that in our marketing material. But no, guess what? That's not what it's about. And so when we told the story at VidSummit where this this past year where this product idea was born, we told the story and people were so surprised that we didn't use that footage from those big YouTubers. But what ended up happening is Peter McKinnon, because he loved the product so much, he actually created a video on his own to support it. And this video had been seen nearly a million times and that came out in the middle of our launch. And that was worth more than anything we could have ever paid for. And it's because we took an approach of service to those people, not just our customers, but especially the influencers. How could we help them, not how could we use them? Serve over sell. I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right, Pat, we got to do a quick game, man. We got we to break it up now. I love right? it. Are you ready? All right. It is now truth and dare. What would you like first? Truth and dare? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We mix it up. Oh, man. <laughs> Let's do truth. Truth. All right. We'll go serious here and then we're going to break it fun. So what's one thing that's holding you back right now in success in business? So one thing that's holding me back is feeling like that I have to do and have a hand in every part of the process myself. And even though I have a team now and I'm learning, I'm still getting involved in parts of the business that I know I shouldn't be involved in. And it's not because I don't trust my team. It's because I'm trying to get better at letting go of things, feeling like, you know, there's like a sense of pride, right? When you have a hand in things. However, I know that there's even more pride involved when I can get another person to feel good about supporting and doing what they need to do to serve my audience too, using their special superpower because they often can do things better and faster than I can. And I still am learning that process. You know, I'm, I'm an only child, so everything has to be mine, right? And so I have to learn how to let go a little bit more. I heard recently the 80% rule. If you allow people to do the job, they may do it 80% as good of you, but that's how you're going to grow. And so be okay with the 80%. Yeah, I love that because it's either that or burnout trying to do everything 100% yourself. Exactly, 100%. All right, now you're ready for the dare? Let's do it. All right, so this is a game we do at the stadium. It's sing-off, but we usually do 2,000 people in one grandstand versus 2,000 people in another grandstand. We play a song. When that song finishes, you have to finish that song lyric. So it is just you, Pat, and I know you have some music background. So when the song stops, you have to finish that song lyric. Okay. You mentally prepared? I'm... I'm scared. <laughs> it's it, it fits a theme. You should know it. You've seen the movie. Don't need money. Don't take fame. Don't need a credit card to ride this train. That's the power of love. You are such a band member. You literally went into playing the instruments instead of doing the lyrics. That was absolutely yeah. the first time it's, it's ever happened on the show, Pat. That was good. Yeah, that was very good. It actually fits. All right. Obviously, we got Back to the Future, but the power of love. I mean, 
that's everything with super very fitting. fitting. It's very fitting because fans, they love you. Customers may or may not like you. So I thought we'd go on that route to finish with that song. Oh, dude, it's so good. When you have people love the experiences that have, and that's the big thing here. Fans aren't created the moment people find you. They're created by the moments you create for them over time. That's how they fall in love with you. It's, it's all the things that lead up to it. Not the first, it's not the first time they hear your song. It's after they hear your song, then they get the album, then they go to the concert, and then they get the poster, and then they talk about it with their friends, and then you invite their friends with them, and then they have a closet full of Backstreet Boy action figures. Like that's the sequence that it takes. And when you have those super fans, and the cool thing is you don't need a lot of them to have some amazing things happen in your brain. I mean, I talk about it in the book. I mean, Kevin Kelly wrote a book called A Thousand True Fans, or he wrote an essay called A Thousand True Fans, which is more like the theory behind it. And, and my book was like the how to, but he basically said like, you know, you don't need a million subscribers, a million emails, followers, a million views. You just need a thousand true fans. Yes. And if you have a thousand true fans and let's say on the low end, they're paying you a hundred dollars a year for your art, your craft, your, your event, your whatever it is. Um, and that's on the low end too. That's less than $10 a month. I mean, I have spent tens of thousands of dollars on things I'm a fan of. And oftentimes we spend hundreds of dollars on things that we don't even use like cable television. Right. Anyway, so a hundred dollars is small. Uh, a thousand people times a hundred dollars. I mean, that's a six figure business right there. And so it just shows you that you don't need a lot. But the cool thing is when you have a thousand true fans or even a hundred or even 10, they're going to invite new people into the brand for you. So instead of you having to always focus on SEO and ads and all these other things that are trying to pull new people in externally, the people who are in your brand already will want to support you this much where they're going to bring new people in. And guess what? They're not bringing people in cold anymore. They're coming in with a recommendation from somebody who's on the inside. Yes. And they're coming in warm and they're, they're more likely to become a super fan too. And it can grow exponentially from there, even without all that advertising, even without all the, the sort of external stuff that might be even expensive too. And this is so fitting to us because we had our special event, Fansgiving. And literally, it was exactly a thousand people, like a thousand and seven people that showed up. And it was a special member event. It was That's a thousand cool. diehard people. And they were in pilgrim costumes. They were wearing turkey costumes. They all got these ridiculous costumes because they wanted to be a part of it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's who you focus on. You don't market to the masses. You go all in on them. And then they spread the word. They tell everybody. And then that can potentially grow. And, you know, I think in your book, Pat, you talk about, you know, letting fans be a part of it, letting them take a shot, letting them decide. I love Mm -hmm. this. And I loved like the example of Chubbies too. Like literally their whole Instagram is their fans. Like, just involving their fans. I would say like areas of like, how are the ways we can do that? Cause it's so cool. Yeah. Chubby's is a e-commerce brand. They sell shorts and Short you know, summer type clothing and all their models are customers. Yeah. And I, mean, I think it's such a cool, brilliant idea because guess what people see? They see people just like them and they go, I want that too. Versus, Oh, there's this model that they obviously paid for who looks nothing like me. And it makes me feel bad about myself. Right. I think that's the typical thing, but, when you get your audience and your subscribers and your fans involved, they then invest. When they are involved, they will invest. And not just invest in money, but with time, with emotion, with support, with love. And I think that's so huge. So making people feel like they belong, right? And the story I tell them in the book is, you know, I had a lot of tall friends in high school. I was very short. I was the shortest kid in the entire class. And unfortunately, all my friends loved to play basketball. And even though they were good friends and they invited me on the court, they never passed me the ball. They never let me shoot. And so even though I was on the court, I never felt like I was playing basketball. I think a lot of businesses, we invite people into our business, but we never really make them feel like they belong there. And so whatever you can do to make them feel like they belong. I mean, there's a lot of classic examples that do this very well, where 
and, and I'm not saying like having them influence the entire business, but getting them involved in a way that helps them feel like they're a part of it is great. So a lot of the examples that I use is when I come up with covers for my books, I get my audience involved and help like ask them to help me select which one they like better. And not only am I getting obviously great data to understand which one they resonate with more, but I also making I'm making them feel like they're a part of the process. Even my good friend Amy Porterfield, who's this brilliant marketer, I remember I was just so surprised one day on her Facebook feed, she had asked her audience for some font help, like for a newsletter that was coming out. And she was like, which of these four fonts do you like better? And there's like thousands of comments. And I was like, Amy, you're, you don't need font help. What are you doing here? And I dug a little bit deeper and I, I just realized what she was doing. She was getting her audience involved in a simple way that wasn't going to like, change the course of the entire business, but it was a fun way to get people involved. But at the same time, she was also letting people know that something was happening in the newsletter and that it was something they, that they could look forward to. I think about Andy Weir, the author of The Martian. Did you know that that book was actually a result of blog, a series of blog posts that just turned into a book? And in those blog posts, he started to attract people who could offer their advice on what life would be like on Mars from NASA scientists and rocket engineers, all these smart people coming in and wanting to get involved in that process. And this book was actually created not just from Andy, but from the community that he built around it as he was creating it and getting input from all these people. And that went on to become a huge bestseller and then a, a movie starring Matt Damon. The more that you get your audience involved, the, the better, absolutely, because that's what we as humans want. We want a sense of belonging. It's just in us. And we as the creators, as the business owners, we can create those moments where our community can come together and feel like they belong. I mean, even, even to a point where like sometimes it's so easy just creating a name for your community to make them feel like they're a part of something like Trekkies who support Star Trek, right? Or Taylor Swift's, you know, what are the Swifties, right? And for me, I have Team Flynn and, you know, every fan base should have a name in my opinion because it makes them feel more tied to the brand and makes them feel like they're a part of something and the cool thing is when a person who's a fan of something meets another person who's a fan of the same thing they might not even know each other but now they have this commonality and now they're together sort of both supporting the, the team but also you know feeling like they're more of a part of it because there's other people who they found who are just like them and so online offline you know in big small ways creating opportunities for that community to meet each other is so huge too and just to know that, like, they're a part of it and, and they're, they're there and they belong. And, and, you know, hey, this is your people. Like, come join your people. It's so smart. It's inspired by you. And we, we do fan design. We do fan t-shirt contests where they decide which shirt t-shirt do they want. So we have, like, three shirts. Which one do they want the most contest? And then we did a design contest where we actually let the fans design their own shirt. And that shirt That's sold cool. more than anything else because a fan put it in. I mean, how do you do that? I mean, just look at those opportunities. It's huge. I want, to, I want to do a few final rapid fire things. Super fan showdown, Pat. I know you've probably never done this. All right. I'm going to name a type of company and you can come back to me. And we got to think of maybe one thing they could do to maybe create super fans. All right. So the first one, a cleaning company like maids that go into homes and they clean different residences. Yeah. So one thing I think a maid company can do is offer a little fun, unexpected surprise after you leave. And this is the final part of the book. The thing that really helps people get to become super fans, especially after being a part of the community, is that small, unexpected surprise. So what if a maid service, for example, got the permission, perhaps, of somebody else in the family to not just clean the house, but with the car that's parked outside to clean that car, too? So when you come home, you're like, oh, my gosh, my house is clean, but 
my car is clean too. Like wh- who did that? Oh, it's the maid service. They wanted to throw that in because they just wanted to say thanks for being a, a client, a customer. That's so unexpected and so different and so easy to do things like that. Maybe is having a cleaning company every once in a while, you know, every six months, if, if a person has been a customer for, for six months, you also say, hey, by the way, we partnered with this window washing company. And you know what? Like, because you've been a, a client of ours for six months, so we want to have you be a client of ours forever because we love taking care of your home. We're going to throw in a, a window power wash for free. The next time you come in, we're just going to bring that company in for you. And if, is that cool? Like, wow, what a great way to just, and, and that's along the same theme as well, right? Like these things don't have to be like, oh, there's, I mean, you're just going to give them an iPad or something yes. like that, which is oftentimes the way we think we need to build fans is just like giving them more stuff. But just being more thoughtful really is what it is. So you can throw one, me and I'm throwing more, one more back to you. What about a person who coaches? Actually, no. Yeah, yeah. So let's say you, you're an agency and you're a website design agency and you have a number of clients that you work with closely on a contractual basis to help them build their website. So the first thing we always think about is the first impressions. So like, what are you doing? So are they already, so they're already clients? So they, they don't yeah. have, okay. So they're already clients. So let's think about their website company. Let's, all right, let's wow them with extra. You got me right now. This website, so digital. Digital, yeah, I know you're more in the- I'm more in the retail space. So the digital, Pat, you've actually got me. So, I mean, the digital things that we do is we try to surprise with videos. So we do a lot when people first buy, we have a very over-the-top video. So we surprise with videos. But if you're digital, you know, you go into a little giftology, John Ruin. Do you know the people? Do you know the spouses? Do you know their families? Are there gifts that you can do that are different and unique? Yeah, John's great. Great research. John's amazing on that. But uh, I think the digital is very, very tough because you, you don't know people as well. And so you have to find a way to connect with the people. That's a great point. That's a really great point. I think that you had mentioned one thing, video is a really, really easy thing that you could do. So sometimes it's just as simple as, you know, reaching out to your customers and sending them a personal video just saying, hey, you know, nothing's wrong. I just want to say thanks for being a client. You know, you're amazing. Like that just goes a long way, right? But I I can imagine, and I'm in the digital space, so I know a little bit more of this realm. Let's say, for example, their, you know, website needs also search engine optimization. So I could find, you know, a report service that would allow me to pull from my client's website an SEO report. So I can go, hey, I just developed this SEO report for you so you can see how your website's doing, what keywords are ranking in case that might help you influence sort of the blog content that you can create next. Or, hey, I have a web designer friend who just, you know, went over your website and he just shared, he just has like five different things he wants to share with you about just the type of branding that you have to see. A person who has a website more would help. Or maybe it's, you know, Again, just simple as the video sometimes works out. Okay, throw one back at me. All right, let's go a bicycle store. So, and then this is related. I've, I worked with Trek a little bit. So a bicycle store that, again, it's antiquated. All right, it's a little bit, you're going to buy a bike. You can buy them online. What are you doing to create fans? So I'm going to reach out to my customers and ask if anybody has an incredible story that relates to their bike. And I'm going to find somebody who perhaps was able to come back from some incredible accident they might have had, told maybe they were never going to walk again, but is now riding one of our bikes. And I want to share that story to the rest of of my brand. And I want to make that person the hero of the story. The fact that you can come back from adversity 
and encourage other people who are going through tough times in their life to be like Jane and fight through and, and be together with a community that's going to help support you. Because one of the tactics I talk about in the book is to put spotlights on your fans and to make them the hero of the story. Because oftentimes we businesses, it's like us, me, I, we versus they, the customer, and how you can make them the hero of the story. When you do that, it brings the entire community up. It makes people feel great. It also shows that you as the community leader, as the business owner, are paying attention to and thanking your community. And even though it's just one person that I'm featuring, it's actually everybody that I'm featuring in that way too. So I would want to find a, a fun story and then probably do like some giveaway related to that and really just asking nothing in return. You know you're going to get loads more back in terms of great feelings, in terms of support and, and all that kind of stuff. So I would look for a really heartwarming story within my customer base that I could feature and and use as a way to, again, not promote more bikes, but to promote this person and what they've done. They just happen to have now purchased a, a truck bike. One of your most powerful quotes in the book, when you become a super fan of something, it's not because of a person, a product, a name or a brand. You become a super fan because of how that person, product or brand makes you feel. And that's mm-hmm. exactly when you make heroes out of your fans. That's exactly what you do. I love it, Pat. All right. Rapid fire to finish up here. Super fan faves for you. All right. So favorite restaurant. Favorite restaurant, the Jazz Kitchen in downtown Disney in, in Anaheim. And have they become a fan because of why? Well, they have not only great food, but there's live music and it's Disney. New Orleans style in Disney. Great food. All my favorite things is wrapped up in one. Perfect. Online retailer. So if you're going to buy something online, what's a favorite one that you go to? Oh, gosh. What was it called? You know, honestly, like Teespring and, and a lot of these t-shirt websites that have super nerdy, like this, like this shirt that I'm wearing right now. Yes. It's like a NASA looking shirt, but it says 88 miles per hour with the hoverboard. Like, this is my love language here. Like super nerdy, back to future related stuff. And so Geek Tees, Spreadshirt, any of those Teespring, any of those super nerdy websites that have like just random stuff on t-shirts is it's my favorite. I love it. I have too many of them. I love it. Those are two brands. Now this is almost going into a person potentially, author or a podcast, something you keep coming back to. And I know you obviously work with lots of them, but one that you just keep coming back to because of they maybe do something that's super fan-like. Yes, I love Sean Stevenson. Sean Stevenson is in the fitness space. The Model Health Shows is a podcast. One of the only ones that I'm actually subscribed to now. I've cut out a whole bunch of podcasts I was listening to back in the day so I could do more. And I love what he does because he makes, he's just very real. He shows a lot about his family, you know, on, on the podcast. And it's very different than a lot of the other shows out there. And he also has this incredible sort of scientific knowledge behind the reasons why he says, you know, get this many hours of sleep. And he's the author of a book called Sleep Smarter as well, which has been game changing for me. And that book was essentially like a, a whole load of quick wins related to sleep so that I could get some better quality sleep and feel just more energized in the morning. I love it. All right, final four. What's one thing you've done to stand out in business and in life? I've always been very open with what has not gone so well for me. And I think in business, that has been really great because it's allowed me to show the sort of realness of what it's like to create a business and that it's not all just unicorns and rainbows all the time. And I think people appreciate that. And in my life, it's allowed me to build really deep relationships with people who I found to always say that they're going to be there for me if times get tough. And that's allowed me to have like confidence with taking bold moves and bold actions moving forward. And just very thankful that it's okay. And I've realized that it's okay to be open and not always have things perfect. Okay, beautiful. If you were to give advice to someone younger on how to stand out, what would you tell them? 
So if I were to give advice to somebody younger about how to stand out, it would be to embrace your weird. My son, I remember he came home from school one day and he was kind of crying because his friend said he was weird. And I was like, dude, you are weird. He's like, what, daddy? And I was like, no, you're weird. Your sister's weird. I'm weird. Your mom's weird. Don't tell him I said that. But that's what makes us special. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes you cool. And if you were just like everybody else, you would be lost. And I love you because you are weird. And I think so if you can embrace your weird, that's how you're going to help yourself stand out. I mean, my weird is the whole Back to the Future marching band, super nerdy thing. I embrace that and I make that a part of who I am. And people know me now for that. And you're talking to a guy in a yellow tuxedo. So obviously I've, I've embraced that too. Or tried to. You're wearing your weird. <laughs> yes, I'm wearing my weird. Final two, yeah. best advice you've ever received. Best advice I ever received was about how important it was to build relationships. I was a very shy kid. I was very apprehensive and I felt very scared every time I you know, was trying to meet somebody new. But I realized that you may never know the next person you shake hands with could potentially be a huge game changer or know somebody who could completely help you or could be the missing link that you needed. So what I do is even though I'm an introvert, I go out and I meet people knowing that any one of those relationships could become some amazing value on both sides for us and, and we could both win too. So meet more people and come from a place of serving them first and you'll find that you'll have just a load of people who are willing and ready to help you when you need it. Along the same lines, it's sort of like you know digging your well before you get thirsty. Versus what a lot of people do is they sort of try to create relationships when they have some purpose behind it. Like, oh, I want to sell something. If you can build those relationships first ahead of time, then when you have something, it's, it's likely just going to be a part of the natural conversation that you'll have with them because you'll ha- already have dug your well. If you dig your well and you're, you're thirsty, it's kind of already too late. Amazing. Finally, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered for being one of the most important agents of change in the world of education. I want to be remembered for having entrepreneurship be a part of school curriculums in all schools. Reading, science, math, entrepreneurship. It needs to be taught. These skills, especially the soft skills that are now obviously more important than ever now to have, but the skills of presenting to people your idea, the skills of learning how to come back from failures, the skills of public speaking, skills skills of working with teams, skills of communication, the skills of writing. Those all play a role in entrepreneurship. So whether a kid becomes an entrepreneur or not, doesn't matter. When you have those skills, you will be successful in life because you'll know how to position things in a way that will help your employer or yourself as a personal brand or, or what have you, whatever you end up doing. I want to be known for that. You're already on your way, my friend. I am so honored to have you on the show again. I mean, you are building fans of so many people, Pat, and it has been a pleasure getting to know you. And, you know, super fans is the start. As you said, you had people that reached out to you and said, hey, whatever you sell, I'm going to buy it. You just tell me whatever it's coming out, I'm buying it. And I think it's that's crazy, crazy. man. Yeah. I've had people send me emails with their credit card numbers in them saying, hey, next time you come out with something, just like charge it to this card, please, because I owe you for what you've done for me. And I'm just like, don't send your credit card over email like that ever again. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to get to know you. And uh, again, thank you for everything that you should bring in. You showed up today and uh, we appreciate you, Pat. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.